course it's really big and profound there's a 10 minute and I kid you not I've sat there with a fucking stopwatch a 10 minute sequence where the chief, where the judges sit around the table talking about the ethics of cloning it's like a question time segment it's fucking bonkers so if you take away if you take one thing away from this podcast it should be Is if it? you have a 10 minute discussion of cloning in your action movie maybe maybe leave it alone Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylog team. So today we're coming at you live and pre-recorded from the McKee Seminar. It's as live. live. As live is the technical term. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are back, backstage at the McKee Seminar. That's correct. Uh, and uh, we're, we're gonna, we've got Will. Will's back. You heard him. Will's back, which means uh, I don't have to do the admin. Oh, that's right. Oh, my God. I've got to remember how to do this. Okay, so uh, <laughs> this is a podcast called The Story Toolkit. It's all about stories. You already know that. You're probably listening to this. If you want to contact these guys and suggest episode titles, you can find them at The Story Toolkit on Twitter. They've also got a website and a Tumblr with similar names that I'm sure will show up on Google. <laughs> the key thing you have to remember, though, is if you like this podcast, you've listened to it before, you need to go onto Apple, Stitcher, wherever you record your podcast, and you need to give them five stars. We, uh, Review them, like them, write a comment saying about how it changed your life, how you'd buy one for a dollar, how it saved your marriage. Five-star reviews. That's what you've got to give these guys. Or you can write a one-star review complaining I didn't let you on the podcast. Outrageous. <laughs> Either one is fine. <laughs> All right, thanks, Will. Since Will's third appearance, we ought to be getting like seven stars off him. It doesn't let you go that high. It does. You do a five-star review and the two-star review. <laughs> I see. But doesn't that average out like a three-star review? I don't know. Okay. I'm not going to mess. Well, we're going to, we're going to talk about Dread. Uh, I knew you'd say that. Oh, you beat me to it. I was, I was waiting to throw that in. Um, we're going to talk about uh, uh, Judge Dredd. Um, that he had two films. One of them was not good. Uh, and the other one was really great. And um, I saw both with Will. Because mm-hmm. Will is a huge 2000 AD fan. And uh, Dredd's awesome. Do you think it's, would, it would help, as well as a synopsis, to give it, go a little bit of background about who Judge Dredd is? Oh, yeah. You, you can do that. Okay. I will just butcher it. Judge Dredd is a story about a guy who has a hat. He's never supposed to take it off. He has a big chin as well, right? That's Batman. That's also Judge Dredd. Uh, <laughs> okay, so um, so Judge Dredd is a comic book movie. In some ways, it was one of the first comic book movies that was made with a reasonable budget in 1995. With Stallone. With right? Sylvester Stallone, yeah. Um, the original character, Judge Dredd, was created in the late 1970s. Uh, it's a British comic book character, but it's set in America. Uh, it was originally in a comic called 2000 AD, which mm. is an anthology comic. And so the way 2000 AD works is you've got five stories a week and each is five pages long. So that has a huge impact on what a Dread story looks like. So a Dread story generally will, because you've only got five pages to tell the story and it's a comic book, there's a very quick beginning, a middle and an end to every single one. Yeah. Um, But they would also have like multi-part stories, right? Yeah, but every single, the rules of Judge Dread are 
you can't have a dread story that has a it's like a 30 serial right so mm. even though that you do get the the mega epics that are sort of 60 parts long each five page story would have like a beginning on page one a middle yeah. on page three and an end on page five yeah and this this was a, this was a comic book standard for a lot of people Alan Moore's uh, View for Vendetta is written in the same way if you watch that every, yeah. you read that every uh, chapter is five pages long mm-hmm. Grant Morrison uh, a, lot of, a lot of the major comic book writers cut their teeth on that form. Yeah, it's because V for Vendetta came from a, uh, this is getting really nerdy now, but it came from another anthology comic which I think was called Toxic. It might not be. Warrior. Or might be. No, that was Marvel Man. Yeah, Marvel yeah, yeah, Marvel Man yeah. was Warrior. But anyway. <laughs> but yeah, the <laughs> British form of comics is not like yes. monthly books. It's it's anthology books yes. like this. Where you in, get, and in fact, when they would adapt American comics, they would often put them in an anthology five pages at a time every week. So like, uh, I remember I used to pick up the Spider-Man one it was like the exploits of spider-man spider-man had four titles a month in america and what they would do is they took five pages from each of them and put them into the anthology in the next week the next five pages so it would take them a month to play out each comic book which came out every month but they did it in five page chunks mm-hmm. yeah. so sorry <laughs> you guys can't see this but <laughs> after these wonderful information bombs they both turned to me because i'm the new person <laughs> i don't know this information but i am Riveted. So okay, good. Uh, you're <laughs> riveted. Brilliant. Um, so the idea of Judge Red is it's set in uh, on the east coast of the US, and the east coast of the US is has become Mega City One. So this mm. is a city that stretches from the Canadian border to Florida. It's one big city. The unemployment rate is ninety five percent because robots have taken everyone's jobs, and the only way in which order can be maintained is the courts have been abolished. And the police force and the courts are enrolled into one system, which are known as the judges. And the judges are judge, jury, and executioner. And they ride around on enormous, cool motorbikes covered in machine guns. And they, uh, yeah, they, they just brutally dispense justice. That, that should be the voiceover at the start to hook people into, like, you know, the, the episode. Yeah. Like, the year is 2001. Mega City One, ninety-five percent unemployed because it'd be taken over by robots. They will be consolidated to the judges. Yeah, like that's it. That's what you want. So, so it's a really dystopian, really dystopian yes. series, and a lot of the commentary on it was it was incredibly hard to adapt because ultimately, often Judge Dredd is not the main character in his own strip. Weirdly enough, yeah. like the main. So every week you'd get these five-page blurts of a thing is happening in Mega City One that is mental, like it's the future. So, uh, you know, people are having a competitive eating competition or, uh, you know, a, a, a fad has broken out for people to be really ugly or something like that. And usually Dread will end come in on like page four and shoot everyone who's involved <laughs> because they're committing some kind of a crime. Right. Yeah. Like, so that's how a lot of these stories are. Uh, it was very punky British yeah, stuff just happened to be set in America. That was it was being satirical of America as well yeah, in the eighties, like Regan America and everything. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, it's a satire of America. It's a, you know, the, the mass unemployment is a sort yeah. of a comment on Thatcher's Britain in the early eighties, yeah. that sort of thing. A very anarchistic, punky thing. Yeah. So this is this. So Dredd kind of wasn't the good guy because he was the establishment. No, absolutely. He's not. He's uh, not a good guy. If you think Judge Dredd's a good guy, you need to check yourself. You yeah, know, that's uh, kind of the point. <laughs> he, he's a and, and a lot of people who write Dredd badly, and this will come up in the um, <laughs> in the in the point about because what we're talking talking about really here today is adaptations and a lot of people who write Dread badly or don't get Judge Dread will basically write Dread as the hero yeah. and that, that can work I've definitely read stories where Dread's the hero well he is the hero in, in the Carl Urban film 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He is, but he's you know they don't shy away from the fact that he's you know <laughs> he's an going? asshole. He's an anti-hero more than a hero. Well, he's he's like he they. It's just like it's okay for him to be really horribly brutal because the people are he's killing are far far worse. Yeah, maybe. So it's okay mm. because they are yeah. far worse. You kind of yeah. I wanted yeah. to get Judge Lex. So, so this is an adaptation, right? So it's an adaptation of like thirty years. So so when the mm. Stallone film Which, came out, I was going to say we're we talking about. Stallone first. I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm going to just quickly. What I think it's best to do is go is, is explain the terms of the adaptation, then do a synopsis of each film, and then compare <laughs> and contrast. Right. Yeah. So, um, so when the original Stallone film came out in '95, it was an adaptation of 20 years of comics, and when the Carl yeah. Urban film came out in 2012, it was a distillation of 40 years of comics, or almost 40 years of comics, 35, 40 years of comics. Yeah. Um, and they had to pick, they had thousands and thousands of issues to pick from for the stories to adapt. And they picked very, very different stories to adapt. So I'll give you the synopsis of both of them. Um, so the synopsis of the first Judge Dredd film is Judge Dredd is convicted of a crime he didn't commit. And he, there's a lot of, there's a lot of other nonsense going on. But he's convicted of a crime he doesn't commit. He goes to prison, he escapes from prison, he clears his name, and in clearing his name, he realises that maybe he's been too hard on people before, and maybe the justice system is wrong. Okay? So Bass is like groaning in agony. It's just painfully it's oh, it's like so Poirot doing a, solving a murder and then realising maybe the murders were wrong maybe murder is okay uh, yeah, that know. is that is one that, that's one that of the most famous yeah, yeah, ones um, but it, spoilers it's... for murder on the Orient Express <laughs> I didn't um, see which one it was a spoiler for <laughs> anyway uh, <laughs> no but like oh, it's so painfully generic yeah oh, there's it's, all kinds of stuff it, there's like an army of clones it sounds like an 80s action uh, 80, it sounds like the A-team yeah um, anyway, so so that is the synopsis. Of nothing the 90 of what film. you said about 2008 and Dread yeah. is in the synopsis of the film you just gave. No, but interestingly, in the first five minutes, it's very 2008. So That's the first true. five that minutes, I'll get to the first five minutes in a minute. <laughs> we will. But the synopsis of the 2012 Judge Dread film is basically. Judge Dredd is taking out a rookie judge for a day, and it's her final exam. And they have to go into a tower block and solve a very minor case. But when they go into this tower block, the tower block gets shut down and then they have to fight their way to the top of the tower block and kill the gangster who runs the whole tower block. Yeah, so played by all, Lena Headey. Yeah, Lena Headey, who's Cersei in Game of Thrones, yeah. Mm. So, so that is a much more self-contained story. Yes, and if I remember, it's also the rookie has to accept that part of her job is killing people a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a big thing in it because she kills someone, then later meets their family mm. and realizes she's the like she's killed someone who isn't particularly horrible, but at the same time, like yeah, you still have to kill them because it's Mega City One, and that's how this works here. Yeah, and it can't work any other yeah, way. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, work yeah, any yeah, other yeah. way. Uh, it's like that's just how it is. Murder is part of this job. So it's a much darker, it's much prettier darker. film. Like the 95, 96 film is very four color. It's very cartoonish. It has Rob Schneider in it in a cartoony role. To my, to my mind, the the best way to show the distinction between these two films is the when Dredd says, "I am the law." Yeah. In both films, in Stallone's film, uh, he's at this. He's having a block war, which, as I recall, is hilarious for people who read two thousand eight because a block a block war in Mega City One is an enormous. Battle. Yeah. So a block. So so the idea is that everything is in a city block. Yeah. And a block war is when two blocks start shooting each other. So you get sort of imagine two Empire State buildings next to each other, but everyone in each window is shooting out 
the other it's just it's yeah. huge 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 deal and yeah. in the in the Stallone film it's a couple of guys with shotguns shooting at each other it's like that's not a block war um, and the thing was there's there, there's all these shots right and Stallone just looks up at these skyscrapers that are only a few stories tall and goes um look and then they shoot at him and it's kind of a joke and it's really rubbish whereas and it comes back either that's I am the law that, is Judge Red's big catchphrase yeah that's, that's it it's like it's a joke line he says it he does it in a really impotent way his authority is flouted whatever Carl Urban's straight, however, there's a bit where Mama has, who is Lena Headey's character, ha, has control of the block, and she's basically told everyone in the block, civilians, everyone, here's how it works. You kill the judges, the judges never find out what happened here, everything's fine, and if you don't, I'll find you and I'll kill you. Everyone in this building has to kill the judges. And Carl Urban gets a hold of the Tannoy system, grabs it and goes, Mama is not the law, I am the law. And you're like... He's such a badass. Like that. It's just like it's chilling the way he says it. Yeah, it's different because it's so much better. And, it's like that's that's what that's what like well, the gravitas of a judge. This is this is my controversial point. My hot take on Judge Dredd is mm. the urban version is not actually necessarily a better adaptation. It's a better okay. film. Okay? Yes. So the thing is, what um. What the urban thing does is it takes Dredd seriously as a character, yes. and it goes, "This is a real world." Yes. Whereas, and, and I think the best example for "I Am the Law" going wrong in the '95 film is there's a point where, so they play fucking Rob Schneider as a, <laughs> as like a comedy sidekick to Judge Dredd. So the, the, first of all, he's the, like the best thing in it as well. Yeah, the idea that you need a comedy sidekick for Judge Dredd oh. is completely off the wall, and also. It's 40 years of comics. He's had about a dozen comedy sidekicks in the comics, including a robot called Walter, like an Italian landlady. There's a, there's a robot that thinks he's Jesus called Call Me Kenneth. Like, he's had dozens, <laughs> dozens of comedy sidekicks. Luke's face is priceless because he looks to me for validation as if, like, Will's making this up, right? I'm just nodding gleefully. It's like, yeah. this stuff is real. Yeah, yeah, he's had he's got, like, a guy who dresses in a bowler hat and, like, spot, uh, and, and like Bermuda shorts called... Uh, Max Normal has been one of his like sidekicks at one point. A an Australian surfer called The Chopper, who's a sky surfer on a skyboard. Like all of these characters were there, and they were like, "No, let's have Rob Schneider. Let's call him Foogie." Okay, so he's Foogie, and he's a hacker. And there's a point where oh. there's a point where Rob Rob Schneider and Judge Red are chained up together, and yeah, Dredd says. I am the law to someone. And for, and, and Rob Schneider's like, that's never going to work when you just bur- barge in here and go, right, yeah. and he, and Mr. Rob Schneider, I am the law. Yeah, Rob Schneider no makes fun, so Fergie, the criminal, makes fun of Judge Dredd saying, I am the law, to Judge Dredd's face. And if you know anything about the character, you know Dredd just wouldn't stand for that. Like, no, it he just killed totally him takes like this out of the character. It, it, it's, that's the mo- and the thing is, also, not only does he have loads of sidekicks, yeah. he has that, awesome catchphrase I am the law yeah. right? that's his big thing right and yet in the film they decide to make the catchphrase I knew you'd say that oh, and you're just like so painful why have you in fact okay so I guess we can bring this in now because yeah. it's worth bringing Will and I saw uh, the 95 Judge Dredd in like a 1997 1998 98, Bristol was, yeah, con- yeah, yeah. comic convention and we watched a live screening of it 
and it was hosted and live commentary by the editor of 2008 at the time, David Bishop. Yeah, and he would pause it and talk about it. And one of the things that happened, because I was like, everyone in that room was a huge 2008 fan. So I'm watching it and it's a great learning experience for me. And one of the things that happened is that uh, Bishop, he paused the film and he goes, Dread has loads of great catchphrases. Why would you pick that? And after that, your groan was literally the groan of the entire audience when he goes, I knew you'd say that at the end of the film. I knew you'd say Ah, they're just like, by that point, it was like, like hilarious because of course so this was like 98 and therefore the wound was still fresh in David Bishop's mind like he literally like you know he's seen this character that he's written for years completely trashed on screen and there's an amazing there was the bit that always sticks in my mind is he pauses the film at one point after Judge Hershey who is another judge she she, Diane Lane plays her in the 95 film and uh, there's a point where she says to, to Dredd, Dredd, why don't you loosen up? I have friends. I have a social life. Bishop pauses the pauses the film and goes, I created the character. No, she doesn't. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, okay. So they completely missed the point. This is like, it opens with uh, all the shots of the comic books yeah. and uh, being put on a table like as a yeah, montage yeah, yeah. thing. And he goes, he, he paused and he said, so it, they wanted to film something at the beginning to tell everyone that this used to be a comic yeah, book yeah. to make sense of it. So... Uh, they wanted to shoot all these comics and we said you can't unless you pay us specifically to use these comics and they went alright and he goes and that's why this is the best part of the film because we got paid a lot of money for this bit <laughs> like they personally yeah, got money you know, for you it know, I, I, I actually hate, like, yeah. I hated the 95 Dread film when it came out I yeah. hated it with a passion but over time yes. I, my, my view out. on it has mellowed I've sold <laughs> out yeah the, the, the money men got to me no, <laughs> but essentially so, so, I, I, so one of the big parts of my mellowing on this film is I read this amazing interview with Sylvester Stallone and mm. contrary to you know sort of a lot of perception of Sylvester He's actually an incredibly intelligent man, yeah, incredibly intelligent, incredibly interesting man, and he had really fascinating and thoughts. He's very about talented, this. very talented. Yeah, and he, he won a screenwriting Oscar for yeah, um, Rocky. for Rocky. He's a good actor, uh, and he's a great actor. But he said that the problem with um, Judge Dredd, and this comes into the whole thing of adaptation, mm. I think, is he said, and I imagine him saying it in a very Sylvester Stallone way, <laughs> "The problem." I can't do a Sylvester Stallone accent, but he <laughs> said, <laughs> "But he said, he said it's a feathered fish." Right, so it doesn't know what it is, and it's really hard to pick out thread of Judge Dredd that you want to do because it's simultaneously in the comics. It's a legitimate adaptation to make it really silly and really funny, and it's a legitimate adaptation to make it really hard and gritty and dark. And it goes back to what you were saying in a podcast a few months ago, rate it five stars, about Batman, where like Lego Batman. Adam West Batman yes. and you know um, you, you pick Nolan Batman are all legitimate interpretations yeah, of the character. You, you pick a ver- an aspect of it. Yeah. When you have a character like that who's been who's existed for so long, Sherlock Holmes, yeah. whatever they've existed for so long, they're bigger than any one story. Your one story can't be every story. You have to pick and choose what aspects to focus on. Yeah. Like say, like for example, uh, Doctor Who, right? If you sit back and look at him over fifty years, he's what maybe five, six, seven dimensions as a character. But you watch any specific Doctor, and he's probably going to demonstrate maybe three or four yeah. at most. And then in an episode, maybe one or two. You have to pick like specific aspects of the character of the world you're going to put out there. And so yeah, it's true. Like if you want to pick the more satirical dredge, you can pick the more satirical yeah. dredge. So I think the problem, and the problem identified by Sylvester Stallone, who worked on it. I mean, he identifies yeah. all kinds of problems. So Sylvester Stallone, for example, found it really offensive when he found out that the comic book creators, Danny Cannon, who was the director, mm. was refusing to pay the comic book creators for their for their 
um, for their input. And Stallone said of it, he said, you can't expect them to have involvement and no remuneration, right? So yeah. like, the reason why the 2008 creative team weren't involved was because Canon wanted them to work for free yeah. and they weren't willing to do it. Yeah. And, and of course, if you don't know anything about 2008, like one of the massive things about 2008 is it was one of the first British comics to credit its writers, credit its artists, yeah. pay them properly. And so like, it's got this in the DNA of 2008 is like you yeah. pay people for their work. So yeah. asking them to work for free just because it's Hollywood was yeah. was really offensive. And they didn't stand up for it. They, no, no, they, they, didn't. they didn't. stand they were for like, it. Yeah, we'll, yeah. Let, we'll let the film tank. We don't yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, they watched. I mean, the, one of the nice things about the David Bishop screening was him basically going like, "We all, we like, we didn't ask you to watch the Dread movie and take your money because you're for our fans. You know, mm-hmm. it's like we knew it was terrible, and this is me explaining to you like, none of this is. We're not." don't affiliate us with yeah. this film because it's not us you know it's like we're not you know one of the things I think is really interesting about, about that screening uh, that screening was I mean there's funny. so many you know, one, one of the one of the, the one of the bits I loved because the audience started really getting into yeah. it and there's this bit where um, uh, Judge Rico has uh, the big Rico's machine. the villain yeah, Rico's Rico, the villain uh, has the has this big robot and he's holding Judge Hershey's head and he goes robot on the count of three crush her head one two and Dredd drops his gun and goes okay okay it's like yeah and then someone in the audience just yells why doesn't he just shoot Rico then he can't say three yeah it's totally correct <laughs> and then <laughs> just completely <laughs> correct and Bishop was like David Bishop was like oh my god I've never realised <laughs> but it's completely true like so if you true. watch the film he's going on the count of three shoot her one two and if he if, if Dredd blows it's a Great dread moment. Dread for him would to just blow totally my head off. Yeah, <laughs> right. to, to blow blow the villain's head off. Right, and, and also he's uh, Bishop is the reason I know about sympathetic explosions because if you remember at the end oh, of the yes, film, yeah. he, got, he paused the film before they get to the big fight. And he goes, "By the way, I just want you all to notice the explosion starts for no reason." presses play and we start watching it then after a while you heard the ripple in the audience as everyone realised that the explosion's been going on for like two minutes and no one in the room knows how it started it's just just the, the set just starts exploding no one, for it no reason no so the film is terrible right okay the, the 95 Dread is absolutely terrible yeah. and you should basically only watch it or make someone watch it as a punishment right? <laughs> so no, I just want to raise a point I, yeah. I thought of it about yeah. ten minutes ago but I don't want to lose it yeah. you know yeah. I forget things okay, okay. but um, when you did your synopses for each of them, it seems very much, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts, it seems very much like the first one, as you said, is generic, could yes. be any character. Yes. Whereas the the urban one is specific. It see, seems more specific. See, I, I disagree, because the thing about, the, 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 the hot take is it's not as bad as I originally thought, right? Mm. And the one thing it does brilliantly, and it does much better than the Carl Urban film in many ways, mm. is it reflects... The, two fa- the, the Mega City 1 of the comics, right? Yeah. So Mega City 1 in the 95 film is a crazy place, right? But Mega City 1 is not part of the synopsis you just gave. Oh, no, 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 no. But you see what I'm saying? The, the, the colour and set design the, is the amazing. The colour set design, it looks right. I mean, he looks like Judge Dredd. He yeah. looks he looks like he just stepped out well, of the comics, I just right? want to talk for a second about the talent that went into that 95 film, yeah. because it was a big budget film, and, and at the time, big budget comic adaptations yeah. were not a thing. No, that's and, true. And Stallone says it's a, like, it's a I, massive... I remember, because yeah. obviously, you know, we were friends, yeah. uh, we've been friends our whole lives, yeah. but like, I remember how excited you were. Yeah, yeah. And everything, I just remember like, Dread's coming, Dread's coming, and it's like, oh, I dread it. <laughs> the talent involved was enormous so for example they had the guy who wrote the 95 Dread it's the guy who wrote Die Hard 
Stephen De Souza, right? Okay, that's a pretty good. He also wrote loads yeah. of other classic movies. Mm. Um, after Dread, he wrote Street Fighter, oh, and geez. then never worked again. Now that's that's got right. an interesting like <laughs> yeah, story yeah. behind the scenes but, of how that got but just the, ruined. But essentially, yeah, the costumes are all done by Gianni Versace. Yes, right. I, okay. I remember this. You know, and it's 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 yeah. absolutely they went to the war with that film. Yeah. They really put a lot into it. Yeah, there's a huge amount of talent. So you've got like t- like the guy who wrote Die Hard, and then you'd think everything he touched would turn to gold, but no. But and it's interesting. He makes these so terrible the mistakes. Of, of all that stuff they put into it, right? And yet the Dread film with Urban, that's like everyone loves. Yeah. Was made for like seven million dollars on the. Oh yeah, it was just, made for less. It I think was it was made, made for about so a tenth little. of the budget. But yeah. twenty years later, so inflation has taken huge. It's it 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 like I mean, did Carl Urban get paid to do that film? Like, can you factor his his contract like into the budgets? I mean, the price, the tag on that, like th- they could they made that film probably for less than a season of Sherlock. Oh yeah, no, definitely, right? yeah. Like that's how cheap dread that dread I'm, film is, and how good it is, and it looks good. It doesn't look yeah. bad. It looks really yeah, good. In the run up to the recent dread, I, I read an interview with Carl Urban, um, and he was talking about the nine to five one and, mm. and saying, "No, this is going to be dark. It's going to be mm. yeah. proper dread, something like yeah. that." Um, so it's funny you talking about actually what? the feather fish, but he, he said. Uh, the, one, the one thing I do remember about the interview is that he said don't worry I'm never taking the helmet off yeah. but it does mean I'm going to have to have an emotive chin <laughs> <laughs> but him not taking the helmet off is actually really important because Stallone had spends most of the film without the helmet on it's like that's Dredd's look yeah yeah like yeah. if you take it off he's not Dredd he's supposed, almost. To, he's supposed to be anonymous right uh, no that's it's, part of it It's it, there's a mystique to yeah. the fact that like he's like the man with the no name like it's like yeah. I don't think they Did ever you, intended for Dredd to like I saw Pat Mills who's the guy one of the guys who wrote a lot of the key Dredd stories mm. he's an amazing writer who also wrote things like Slain for 2000 AD um, created ABC Warriors, mm. all that sort of stuff. Really, like pivotal 2008 writer, and he um, he said, "I don't think we ever meant for Dread to never take his helmet off, but we realised after about." 80 issues that mm. we just never drawn him with his helmet off yeah. and then it just became a thing and it's yeah and it, beca- yeah, it's part, it yeah. becomes a thing like he's never off duty and and the thing about it as well like Dread one of the reasons I think it has to be more serious the Carl Urban one by nature is because Dread is not funny the character yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mega City 1 is satirical the backdrop is kind of crazy It's and it, there's a farcical element to it but the and certain characters in it are zany it depend who but you Dread on, the character yeah. so when you have Dread walk in at the end and kill everyone it's like a satirical punch right yeah. look how fascist this world is look how absurd it is but when you go we're going to do it about Dread Dread is not a comedy character and when you make him funny and the butt of jokes, it completely destroys. It makes him, have, it makes him have no can sense. Can I ask, uh, focusing on the latter dread, what's dread's dimension? Oh, that he's he's a cop, but he's incredibly violent. Uh, I don't That's know. That's kind of the the it big de- thing about it. it right? Massively, de- it's like Batman. It massively determines he's right. Depends who's yes. running it. So, but so essentially, that's. I, I think mean, you know, Batman. It's like p- 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 billionaire uh, Bruce Wayne versus. Uh, I think it is the, the dimension of dread is he is the icon of justice, yes. but he's incredibly unjust. Exactly. Right. That's right. the that's, tur- a, that's the turnaround. That's, right? that's yeah. a yeah. that's a very good way for yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But but there that's are totally. other dimensions to him as well. When he's written by the best people, so True. like when John Wagner's writing him, he's like one of his dimensions is he's the harshest cop in the universe, but he's got a heart of gold. Yeah. Like so so the best dread stories will have that. Yeah. The heart yeah. of gold. They're, they're variations the, almost so on that like, same thing. Right? Like a fascist cop with a heart of gold. Like that is a yeah. great yeah contrast. 
And that's part of the thing. Is like that's why you want to see stories that make him. Yeah. You're going to make him the focus. The you want to see just like you want to see him be have that heart of gold yeah, and be yeah. nice. You also want to see him be at, more brutal and more violent because that's the nature of that character. If he's not particularly fascist, yeah. then it's not particularly interesting. Yeah. If he's nice to people, so, so to come to, to, if he has a heart of gold, the, you want like what was that brilliant bit at the beginning of the Carl Urban film, right? Where uh, he's he's nego- he's negotiating, and he's like, you, you can spend this much time in the cryo cubes, and it's like that, you know, that's. That's a terrible way of negotiating. And oh, he I just goes like, this is not a negotiation. I'm telling you what your punishment is. Yeah, he's like... And he's like, like, if you don't do it, I'm going to kill you. And then he yeah. kills him. He's, he's literally like, like, you know... Let, the guy goes like, let me go and I'll, you know, I'll take 20 years in the queues or something. No, no, the guy's like, let me go. And he's like, you're spending 20... Like, doing what you've just done, that's 20 years in the cubes. And he's like, you're a terrible negotiator. I'm not negotiating. And then just kills him. And it's just... That's that's what you want. You want that. Like, there's a part of it. Like, the world has to be horrible enough that dread acting that way is actually enjoyable to watch. So, I think the, the you know what it comes down to, and the reason why one is a bad adaptation and one is a good adaptation, mm. in my opinion, is uh, the urban version gets the character right. Mm. And, and takes liberties with the setting. Yes. Whereas the 95 Stallone version gets the character fundamentally wrong, mm. and uh, but does the setting brilliantly. So there's loads of good stuff about the setting. So for example, <laughs> uh, uh, you when know, you say when you say the other one gets the setting wrong, is that it's not wrong? It, it's right, but they just focused on a a, a microcosm. Of it. Yeah. <sighs> it, there's no satire to it. Yeah. No. That, that, like it doesn't take in the expanse of the setting. Like no, it, right. Okay. Like you know, and and the more they really turn it down. So I've definitely had conversations with Bass where we've talked about like the more ludicrous end of Judge Dredd. Yeah. Like the the eating competition um, story in Judge Dredd is an absolute classic. So basically, you've got this competitive eating league. Uh, and and people like people you know and, and essentially the story is it's like a classic kind of boxing thing where the mafia want one of the competitive eaters to throw a fight and they're like you know everyone knows you're the best at eating cream buns big Tony but you're going down in the fifth round or whatever and like the whole point is Jed Dredd's got the guy who eats the cream buns wearing a wire and then you know the, the big question is is he going to throw the fight or not um, and you know it's like it's ludicrous it's really silly but it's really funny calling it we're half an hour and this is bullshit you guys are winding me up no it's true no it's totally true it's totally true no no and there's a time when like there's a lot of pages to fill yeah yeah. Yeah, and there's a time when um, when the chief judge goes mad and goes into league with this alien race of crocodiles called the Cleggs and the Cleggs take over Mega City One and the chief another chief judge dread decision a a. 3am decision (laughs) you'd hope yeah, <laughs> but it, but like but the thing is like it, there's but the urban version definitely like takes the most serious versions yeah. of Dread. It's like yeah. the '95 X Men version of Dread, like where it's yeah. like everything's pared back. He's wearing leather. Yeah, you know. But the also, silly costumes there's, there's also another reason, which is if you because it's a film, people want it to feel legitimate. They don't want it to be like a silly camp send up, even if the comics are a bit sillier. They don't want that silliness on film because there's a sense of like you're bearing yeah. their their fandom to the world. And it's like we want you to take it like the way we take it, which is this matters to us. So if Hollywood portrays it in a silly flamboyant way, yeah. it feels like they're not taking it seriously, and so it feels almost a bit offensive to the fans. Like there's a bit you were saying, like you know, uh, the '95 was be- was better with the setting in a way. There is a bit, and I remember Bishop pausing the film at this moment where Judge Dredd in in the film 
he's in the block war, and before he goes into a room to fire something, he tells his lawgiver. So there's a big the thing. Lawgiver. A, a big By the way, there is yeah, there's yeah, a point we'll where there's a the cockney, lawgiver. Yeah. We'll get to okay. the lawgiver in a minute. There's the lawgiver, and he <laughs> says into it. Uh, what type of bullet? And he goes like signal flare, and he turns around and shoots a flare, a flare yeah. into the room. So a big and then they pause it, and Bishop goes, "Why did he shoot a signal flare? Can he not see into the room like that?" Um, pl- presses play. Then there's a bit where he goes double whammy, and he pauses. And goes, "No judge would ever say double whammy, <laughs> it's right?" Very silly. And it's like it's silly, but the dr- the judges are never silly. Yeah, because the, the world it might be silly, but the judges are so like Stallone's do all these ridiculous yeah. things. So to explain the context of the lawgiver, basically the lawgiver <laughs> is the judge's pistol. It's like their signature weapon, right? And essentially, the big thing it can do, as opposed to like every other gun in the universe, there's two special things, and that is you can shout at it to tell it a different kind of bullet. So the most common bullet, the most common thing Judge Dredd shouts at his lawgiver is high explosive, and then like so you'll be in a hostage situation, and he'll shout high explosive at his gun, and then just blow up the whole bank. Like you know, that's like a classic dread moment. Or he or like heat seeker, bam, and then yeah. the bullet will chase someone down. Hot shot. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. that he's, so that's a classic thing. But the other thing that the lawgiver does is if someone who's it's got a palm print that detects whether it's a judge firing it, and if you pull the trigger and you're not a judge, it will blow your hand off. Or as it's phrased in the 95 one, you don't want to touch that. It's a lawgiver. I'll take your arms off. And yeah. then later on in the film, gives someone a mild electrical shock. Yeah, exactly. So, so this is this that's, a really ludicrous thing where the classic thing in the comic is you pull the trigger on the gun, you're not a judge, it blows your hand off, right? Yeah. Whereas so in the comic, for some reason, they're like, oh, it's a lawgiver. It will take your arm off. That's Ian Drury, by the way, doing that bit. He was like this legend of punk. He's the guy who did Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick. And they got him in as an arms dealer in the 95 film. And he's like, Ian, it's a lawgiver. It's a so out of that's place. not him doing a Cockney accent, by the way. That's literally how Ian Jury so just talks. <laughs> but it is ridiculously out of place because it's in New York. Because they forgot it's actually it's New York, just and then, like, everyone else is American. And then there's an arms dealer who's a Cockney. Yeah, fine, <laughs> fine. But yeah, but he says it'll t- he literally has the line: "It's a lawgiver. Don't fire it. It'll take your arm off." And then someone pulls the trigger on it and it electrocutes them. And you're like, you haven't read your own script. Yeah, it's, it's like, terrible. You can't do anything because it's PG-13. And the thing we is, didn't like, get PG-13. It was an R rating. That, yeah. That's even crazier, yeah. right? But th- th- that's actually kind of a, another thing, which is like, Dread, even if it's satirical, it's still very violent. Yeah, it's dark. You can't, it's yeah, dark. you can't get away with, like, um, PG-13... Amer- I mean, R-rated films, even in America... You can t- bring your kids if you've got an adult. It's yeah. not the same thing, really. It was it's American, American here. Yeah, yeah it's not. It was a fifteen same. in the UK, so it was quite. You know, it was. Yeah. It, it was definitely freezing out some of its audience, which was a big problem. Yeah, I think. but it was also p- pandering in a way, and it yeah, was just yeah, like yeah. you. They couldn't go the whole route. I think they were. De- I think you're right. They were definitely shooting for a PG thirteen and yeah. failed and got an R. Yeah, because like it was that. still too violent. Yeah. But yeah, it's a terrible. Basically, like the ninety five dread is a terrible film. And the other reason it's terrible is it tries to do too. This is a classic mistake with adaptations. Mm. It tries to do too much. So as well as the storyline that we put out of yeah. dread getting convicted of a of a crime he didn't commit, the other things it does it tries to mm. cram in. It tries to cram in block wars. That's you know, a I just realised the plot of this film is Minority Report. Oh, it's very similar. It's the exact same story. But on top of Minority Report, imagine you cram in there is block war, which is a thirty part. Epic. Yes. The lot the, the cursed earth, which is a thirty part epic. Yeah. It also crams in the Angel Gang, who are one of Dred's big villains, in a five minute cameo. That's yeah. a thirty part epic. Dozens of stories about it's that. The, 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 the ABC Warrior yeah. robot. That's a whole separate comic book. And Dred's having a twin brother oh, who's Judge also Rico, a clone, yeah. Judge Rico. It crams that in as well. Yeah. And the Chief Judge is being corrupt 
and Judge Dredd originally being a clown. So there's like nine or ten different plots going on in yeah. the 95 one. And it's a classic, and the urban one is so pared back. It's so much better in that regard because it picks one story and just follows it. And also it explains why it's so generic because Mm. to have all those elements in, the only way you can hopefully pretzel those and string those together is by having really generic events happen that aren't motivated by characters, aren't part of it, it just happens. Hence why you have a building that explodes at the end for no reason. The other thing about the 95 Dreadful film is it is it thinks it's so much better than it is it knows it's written by the guy who wrote Die Hard it knows it's got a soundtrack by The Cure it knows it's got a fucking it's got fucking Gianni Versace to do the comic it thinks it's really big and profound there's a ten minute and I kid you not I've sat there with a fucking stopwatch a ten minute sequence where the che- where the judges sit around a table talking about the ethics of cloning it's like a question time segment it's fucking bonkers so if you take away if you take one thing away from this podcast it should be Is if it? you have a 10 minute discussion of cloning in your action movie maybe maybe leave it alone maybe wasn't, wasn't there a bit wasn't there a bit in the screening where Bishop when they were having that talk and he fast forwarded it because he was like no one wants to see this. Yeah, no one no, wants to see this. No one came to a dread film to see old men he talking. Was, in a he was circle. so bitter. He was so incredibly He was like, he was like, Amazing. yeah. So, uh, so we went to one meeting with these guys, and they told us we didn't need us because they know what rip roaring action is. This is a ten minute sequence of people discussing the uh, ethics of cloning. Rip roaring action there, Hollywood. Like. Oh, and isn't there a bit where Rico shows up in the judges' quarters with the ABC ABC machine warrior, yeah. and he just paused it and went, "How did it get in the lift?" Yeah, good point. It's, it's a really <laughs> it's a massive robot. Robot. How to get it's a gigantic How did he get in in that building? Probably. It's just like, ah, oh, this. It's a, it was really cathartic. It was lovely to see. Yeah, yeah. But the, the new one, the urban one, we saw that together mm-hmm. in London. And I just, I thought that was just wonderful. It was great. Um, it was just it. It had it, it was a, it was a flavor of ice cream that was uniquely dread. You know, it was just yeah. like this feels like this. I, the way I phrased it to you after I saw it was this feels like the character you've been telling me about mm. your whole life. Like well, I remember when we saw the '95 film. I remember uh, all the discussions of dread, hearing all this stuff about dread, and I'd never really experienced it until. I saw that film like that's I got it that's Dread and other people who like Judge Dread and so forth all have that same feeling like for people who really like Dread it was like that's Dread and people who don't like Dread they watch and they go this is cool this is this mm. is a good like simple well told story it works um, and that people kind of have this desire for a bit I more I think of it's it. like it's the two like one is I think the reason that they're so fascinating is it's two adaptations of the same character yeah and one is really bad and one's really good. So yeah. I think, you know, what is it... We've got to, the question we've got to ask ourselves is what is it that makes the urban one good? Mm. And what, So I think what makes the 95 one bad is it takes itself too seriously mm. It's and simultaneously is packed full of silly jokes that yes. have nothing to do with the comic. It doesn't really understand its main character, mm. but also it tries... I think, and this is the biggest problem, mm. it tries to do far too much. It can't decide what to keep and what to leave out. And I think yeah. a lot of adaptation is actually about what to leave out more than what to put in. It's true. That's true. And there's but there's also an element of um how a lot of that film is they took um the what do you call it, I guess, not the veneer, but the um the the, the what do you call it? The the the, the air of dread. Yeah. They took all that trapping and they just overlaid it on top of typical Hollywood nonsense. The comic relief. Mm. This the catchphrase. This that like they li- it, it feel it feels like they had their their basic factory sort of 
McDonald's-esque approach. Yeah, we need this, numbers, we need it? this, we need this, boom, boom, boom. But we'll put dread on the top of everything. Rather than using dread to be the substance that builds the story out of it, yeah. it's let's put dread on top of everything. And what's also interesting is that you can feel this even when you consider, like I said, okay, it's so generic, it's like Minority Report. You've heard this plot a thousand mm-hmm. times. Dread is essentially the raid with, with lasers. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly the same film. And yet, Dread feels unique. The raid feels unique. They don't feel like copies. They don't feel derivative, either one of them, even though the plot is essentially the exact same story. Well, not just the plot, but the sequences are the, the same. Se- everything's yeah, yeah. About, everything about the series. They were made concurrently. They came out around the same time. Yeah. So it wasn't like there was a plagiarism thing. It, they just both happened to be doing the same thing. It's, um, it's a good basic setup for a brutal cop film. Right, which is you trap all the cops in, a, in one room and they have to fight their way out. Like that's mm. boom there, and so it's a very generic thing in that sense. And mm. yeah, you look at it, it's like, well, why is Dread like feels like it's unique and everything, whereas Judge Dread doesn't? And so, well, you look at the character, the world he's in, the way they build things up. The character of Dread is completely different to the main character. Yeah. Uh, play, I, I, I think know, what they Dread. do, I think like what they did successfully with them, and it's like written by Alex Garner, who Alex Garland, Garland rather, yeah. who I largely I don't like a lot of his stuff. I think it, you know I don't think he's a, I don't particularly like his writing, but mm. he did he knocked it out of the park with Dread. Yeah. And I think one of the things he's really good at is he's good at spotting what makes a narrative work or not. Mm. So. So, um, so he did um, Ex Machina, which I think is one of the only good treatments of AI on screen. I never saw Ex Machina. Also, that just before we started recording, Bass, I was talking to you about Never Let Me Go. Mm. Alex Garland did the adaptation of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And which, uh, 28 Days Later, he wrote 20 as well. Days 28 Days Later, okay. uh, The Beach. No, I mean, I, I really like 28 Days Later and The Beach, but I think the problem with them is he, he's not great at writing an ending. And his book, The Tesseract, right. had the same problem as well. Well, Dread, actually, the one floor was the ending. Yeah. I remember, we, we, I, when we saw it, I was loving it, but the mercy scene is not very strong. Yeah. Which is, um, in the film... Um, uh, Dread uh, gets rescued by um, Anderson. Yes, remember? Yeah, yeah. and I was and I remember sitting there with you because we watched Dread and then Looper. Remember we did a double oh, bill, yes, and in between the two films, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I reckon we can fix this. And my what I liked about my fix was that after I told it to you, you went. That's how dread would. That, yeah, that, that feels really like dread. Thing. It's like that's a dread fix. The that's other problem really with it is, is there's this whole thing in the in the 2012 dread where basically dread can't just shoot the gangster Mama, Lena Headley, can't shoot her because she's got a bomb and yes. if the bomb goes off it'll kill everyone in the block. Yeah. And the way he solves it in the film, Alex Garland basically can't write an ending. The great writer can't write an ending. Endings are hard. And he, he push basically what Dredd does is he pushes her off the building, the tall mm. building, and she falls so far off the tall building that when the bomb detonate when the signal goes off the bomb mm. then it's too far away to set the charges off and yeah. I'm like and Dread doesn't know that's the thing Dread doesn't know when he pushes her off the building that that will, that work. That will work right so um, yeah. so it's it's just like he just basically takes a big chance and it pays off so it's really unsatisfying but you had a great fix for it like oh, that it fix that was a different fix That my fix was that uh, he overdoses her on the slow-mo yeah oh. so that she ends up like trapped in the last moment in, yeah, in yeah. that last moment for so long 
that he just like he so can do whatever he wants. Yeah. He can do any. It doesn't matter. It's like she's he, he just like she can't do anything because everything's in slow motion for her for so long. Yeah. So it's so like because they talk about the cryo tubes and everything. Like you put someone in in the cubes. Yeah. The so like the idea is like he gives her so much slow mo that essentially yeah. she's in the cryo cube. Yeah. So that was the idea. So just to explain what slow mo is, it's like a, the, con- the, the the sort of high concept drug that Marma is dealing is called slow mo, yeah. and it makes you experience yeah. everything at like one tenth time. So they, they play yeah. around with it in the, all these beautiful shots. Like she's in the bath yeah. and she flips some water. And, and you saw the water in slow It's a really good use of uh, like a big Ari camera. Her use of it as a punishment as well is yes. really neat, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because she does yeah. it and then throws them off the building, right? Which so, is what he does to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, uh, I was expecting like an overdose, but the, the fix I was referring to was the mercy scene, yeah. which was Judge Lex has shot uh, Dredd. Yeah, Dredd's Lex is, on the, the, is a bait yeah, judge. Yeah, he's the corrupt judge. He's yeah. come in. He's shot up Dredd. They, he shot him in the bit of the building where they're making the slow-mo. Yeah. Dredd's lying on the floor. He's bleeding out. And um, Lex points the gun at him. And he's just like, you know, he, he does, like, you know, I can't believe you won't be on the tape. But he gives him some crap. And he goes like, wait. Like that. And Lex goes, why are you telling me to wait? The great judge Dredd is telling me to wait? Are we going to beg for mercy and all that stuff? And he goes, no, wait. And then Anderson shoots him in the back of the head and goes... For her to kill you, yeah. right? And I thought that's a bit cheap. And I thought the the fix I came up with was uh, Lex has the gun. Same situation. Dread goes wait, and he does the exact same thing. He goes off crazy, you know, like exactly yeah. as. But this time, Dread grabs some slow mo and throws it into. Lex's face and so Lex reacts in slow motion as he turns around and this was your little bit yeah. addition to it, which I loved he turns around you see it from his point of view Dread just slowly punching into the camera <laughs> and then you just bam bam like that and it cuts back into regular speed and you just see him beating him to death with his fist and I'm like that would have been and you went like that's that's how Dread would solve that <laughs> just, yeah. Dredd just re- relentlessly could you get that brutality then yeah like, exactly you know, I, I, that's, that's the thing I, I would really and that would be a really great Dread fix to that yeah. scene and yeah. I, I, well, I remember when I came up with it and then you said the camera angle I was yeah, like yeah. Oh, and I picked it, it fit in my head I'm like oh that would look so good in slow in motion slow nation, oh, but just going like that, and the guy can't do anything. <laughs> just done, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyway, but apart from the ending, it was great. Yeah, and yeah. the ending wasn't terrible. It just wasn't. No, really... no, it's not by any means a bad film. It's, no, it's really, really entertaining. It's really watchable. Yeah. Um, it's just it does the ending lets it down a little bit. Indeed. I think that's why it maybe didn't do. I mean, I, you can never tell why something does well or doesn't do well. No. But I think um, I think it also suffered from being a film in three D yeah. at, at a time when there weren't many screen. People kind of were a bit sick yeah. of three D movies. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, it, it couldn't get the audience. It got it's a cult one, but it couldn't yeah. get the audience. It is coming back. Apparently, apparently, it is coming back as a TV series. And this goes, this goes, work. this goes to a wider point, right? Okay, um, which is, uh, so what Garland really this is the point I started making about ten minutes ago before we started talking about fixes for them. But essentially, what Garland is really good at doing is spotting mm. the the great narrative hooks that exist within material, right? Mm. So the the hook he spots is basically. Dread is a classic cop movie, and mm. you take do a, a classic cop movie, and you put Judge Dread into it. You get the character right, you put him in a classic cop movie. Yes. So, and it made me think about all of the other really classic Dreads, and all the classic Dreads are yeah. just based on cop stories. So, that my favourite Dread story is called The Pit, and it's basically oh. what if Dread was in NYPD Blue? Like, yeah. what if Dread is, is in a soap yeah, you, opera you about t- cops? You told me about that one. And yeah. so the art, so the storyline goes basically: Dread is given command of the worst the worst 
sector of Mega City One. So he has to deal with all the bureaucracy as well. He can't just go out on the street and shoot people. He's got to like manage other judges and like it's really entertaining. It's really, behind really a good. desk, damn it. But it would be a great TV series. Yeah. But I think that that's the key. That's to- what it sounds like. Dread names is red tape. Yeah. The red tape is super exciting. The way he, the way, to be fair, dread reacting to red tape is interesting. The way, the way (laughs) dread actually beats the gang lord at the end of the pit is they can't get the gang lord for anything. He's totally clean, (laughs) and then dread real, dread goes through. Dread has like the sort of the the tech judge go through all the files for all the crimes that might have been committed by him, and they find that he's got like three thousand parking tickets. So dread's like three thousand unpaid parking tickets. The sentence is death. Boom! <laughs> right, like, right. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. That's so good. <laughs> it's just, that's, it's just brilliant. Because it's the one crime that he hasn't had his lawyers all over, like destroying all the evidence. It's just great. And it, it, I love it because, like, it, the whole the idea that the judges are like the policemen are the judges. They're totally allowed to execute people like that they just have to have any sort of justification and the idea that this guy's used all this red tape to stop Dredd and it's like Dredd's allowed to kill like, he, he can just kill me it's like I can't break the law like Dredd won't break the law He's t- he lives in a fascist dystopian nightmare but he won't break the law and the idea that like yeah parking tickets now I can kill you because you forget like <laughs> this guy isn't up like it's not like the untouchables where he'll go to jail maybe after a lengthy trial it's like the trial is the bullet like <laughs> you're dead I just I, I like that like there, there's something because the world, the the way that the the world of Mega City One works and so on, it, like you can take sort of a generic story, transplant it into that world. But then, what's interesting is watching the uniqueness of the world and characters. That's mm. how you break and defeat the cliche and make it unique, which is what the urban dr- dread does. Mm. But whereas the ninety five dread doesn't. So like, it's not a problem that you know he gets framed for a crime he didn't commit, and there are corrupt judges. It's like. But he's not dread when he's responding to those situations. Mm-hmm. And those situations aren't Mega City One versions of those problems. It's just generic stuff that could happen yeah. in any place, happen to be designed by Versace. So, yeah. so what do we learn then? I think when you're doing an adaptation, especially when it's a feathered fish, to use Sylvester Stallone's <laughs> yeah. amazing phrase. Yeah, he's a really smart guy. It is so the, is to pick, I think it's a hone in on character. Mm. And, and get the character right and then build out from there yeah. and if the character's right I think it'll, it'll, it'll see you through when yeah. you're blocking out the story and you're working out exactly what the beats are And because when you put Dread in once you've got the character of Dread and the dimensions right in your mind and yeah. you put him into a situation then the way he reacts in that situation will be like quote unquote right it's like true to the what's the USP source. of the thing you're ad- adapting mm. right and then you have to bring that out yeah yeah I think so so, Dread, anything else you want to say about Dread? Uh, watch the 2012 version, don't watch the 95 version. I do love the 2012 version, it's just so satisfying. Yeah, the one thing it's I would so say satisfying. is, like, the, the, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is going back into a tangent, so it's not like a great wrap-up, but fuck it, you know. You can, <laughs> you can cut this if you hate it. But the first five minutes of the, origi- of the 95 Dread are like a five-page story. So basically what happens is... Yeah, they turn up, Dredd gets called out to a block war and the introduction of the Rob Schneider character is he's just got out of prison for being a criminal. He, the block war starts. He hides from the guys who are shooting up the block by climbing into a cleaning robot and hiding in a bin. And then after Dredd's killed everyone who's doing the block war, Dredd finds him in the robot bin and goes, 
meddling with city property five years in the cubes and it's a great little five page story where like a guy just gets out of prison and he's like I'm going to go straight and then to save himself he has to hide inside a robot bin and then Dread turns up kills everyone who's causing the real trouble and then finds him in the robot bin and is like you've hidden in a robot bin to save your own life fuck you five years in the cubes like it is a great little five page story and that's perfect Dread yeah that, that is, is perfect, perfect Dread it's like he's he's the he's totally it's just this unjust system of justice. Yeah. It's just like, it's just, that's it. So there's five good minutes. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many other bad things in it. There's this amazing bit, there's this amazing bit where they're like, like the chief judge is dying and he's dying under the statue of justice. And David Bishop pointed this out, I, I didn't spot it, but basically he pauses it and he's like, can you just note, take in how big the statue of justice's tits are? And basically someone has made a statue of justice with like, with like, not just like porn star tits, like, pervert like proper depths of the internet like I want to see the biggest tits ever kind of twice the size of a woman's head tits it's like why would you do that Gianni Versace like why would you want that in your film oh man I wish I wish there was a way you could like get a, that commentary like on oh, a DVD yeah, yeah, yeah. it's such a shame it was so much fun to watch that um, that was a great way to enjoy the day five dread. It was. It with, was. With, with, all, with everyone just screaming. It was like as the audience started to get into it, just yelling things like, Why is this happening? Why? Yeah, so in in in, in what you learn, what you take away from this is if you're if you're doing adaptations, make them good. No, uh, <laughs> but if you're doing adaptations, like really think about the character. Yeah, like think about what's unique. Sometimes it's yeah. the world, the character, the storyline, there's something. There's if you're adapting something, there's a reason to adapt it, right? Yeah. So what is that thing that especially like the franchise now Will and I we were talking about this on the train once we were talking about like what we would do if we could make a Dread series mm. and it's just like there's so so many cool things you could do with Dread it, but it's picking that tone it's picking that yeah. tone and going I think the right way to do it is to take like classic cop series and yeah. then follow them I, through I, I, I so, think that's the way you do it. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, because like, like sometimes it will be funny and sometimes it won't be. Yeah, you just do individual comedy episodes, yeah. I think, but you've got to have that spine of. Yeah. You know, and, and the it, big thing though is like dread isn't funny. Well, he the can, world, he the, can the, be funny the, in a kind of laconic dry way. Like, yeah, in the sense that he he shoots like you for parking violations, but yeah. he himself isn't funny in that sense. Yeah, no, the world is so absurd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he and, himself is. And funny. part of the fun of it. And he's not he's... funny to anyone else in the world. Yeah, no one in the world yeah, yeah. finds him funny. That's kind of a big. Th but that's the thing. It's like you actually have to really get the. You know, when you adapt something, you need to know it as well as at least the author did. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to become derivative. I do you think that's a big problem with the 95 Dread, actually. I think the guy, the guy, D'Souza, the guy who's adapting it, doesn't actually give a shit about the comic books at all and no. thinks they're shit. And I think that's a massive problem with yeah. another thing he did before, like, because he goes on and does Street Fighter and then he does Tomb Raider, both of which are awful. Oof. Yeah, yeah. And I think a big problem he has is when he's adapting material. He just thinks it's rubbish. Like it's work for hire. He doesn't care. Yeah. Well, also, like Die Hard is adapted from a novel, yes. but he just throws the whole novel in the bin and writes his own story. Yeah. I so, mean, originally it was going to be the sequel to Commando, if you remember. Oh yes, he wrote Commando because well. the book is a sequel to a book, oh. and that book was adapted with Frank Sinatra. And originally, Die Hard was going to star Frank Sinatra and be a sequel to the Sinatra film. 
And then they went, let's make it Commando sequel with Schwarzenegger. And then they went, let's get this romantic comedy actor, Bruce Willis, and have him do it. He was, the, you know, Paul Rudd of his time, yeah. so let's have him do it. And that turned Bruce Willis into an action star. Think, but if you watch it, the whole fun of Die Hard is that he's not an action star. Yeah. I think one of the other things right. is the, the career of Stephen DeCesar, this is a real tangent, but the, mm. one of the other things the career of Stephen DeCesar tells us is what a sort of magic in the moment cocktail a really great film is like yes. Die Hard is like a, an unpredictable cocktail of elements like yeah. you know it's a great screenwriter well it's a screenwriter well, things like play. Hans Gruber wearing a suit because Alan Rickman thought he looked stupid not wearing a suit yeah we're wearing, like, wearing and that makes the whole yeah, character yeah, yeah, work because yeah, yeah. someone listened to uh, Alan Rickman yeah and like um, you know and Bruce Willis playing lines in different ways yeah. and things like that plus John McTiernan and basically apparently throwing quite a lot of the script in the bin presumably yeah. the 10 minute eth- discussion on the ethics of cleaning <laughs> or something it's just <laughs> stirred in there I don't know but like yeah it just it, I think it just goes to show you that as much as like as much as we talk about formula and stuff like that you yeah. can have an amazing script yeah. and the film can turn out to be fucking terrible like, yeah. because um, essentially the director is adapting the screenplay right yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. we're talking about adaptations like the person doing the adapting has to know what they're doing if the level of the adapt the, the work will only be as good as the level of the person adapting it mm. no matter how genius the original is it, 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 if the person adapting it is rubbish it'll be rubbish there's nothing you can do about it yeah. if a rubbish actor doesn't matter it doesn't matter like rubbish actors are not good when they play Macbeth no absolutely and, and, and it goes to show you just how just how sort of alchemical the process is yeah. so like like in that I mean you know one of the things I've said a lot about the, the 95 Dread is you've got you've got pretty good perform- I mean you know yeah, there's good people in it as you said right? like on paper it should have worked yeah Danny Cannon you know, amazing production design like all these huge names you know like this could have been yeah. X-Men it could have been you know it's yeah. had these huge things I mean yeah. like The Cure were amazing well, well look at Thor wonderful. Ragnarok it's completely yeah. off the wall right yeah but it's uh, wonderful totally works uh, yeah. I haven't seen it yet but I've heard it it's, it's, it's an absolute joy uh, but it's, it's that same thing it's like on paper mm. this should work you put it together it doesn't work it's like well I don't think you're right it's like they fundamentally don't really care about this it. This is a great way to end this. And basically, I want you... When I say this, Bass is literally going to physically attack me. Go on. But I think that's the problem with John Carter, that it works perfectly on paper, but Taylor Kitsch just doesn't sell it. I knew you'd say that. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the show, Will. <laughs>